Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you, thank you, and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would give us grace today, Lord, to discover, to discern the ways that we are um, the ways the ways that we are called upon, Lord, to to be a prophet, Lord, to to follow you, to uh, to honor you, uh, to uh, to live in that anointing that is ours as uh, Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we want to love you more. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you've listened to Sound Insight over the past several years, I have come to use language that um, is pretty, I don't know, I guess I'd call it standardized now. Uh, it wasn't new. Um, well, it was new to me as of just a handful of years ago. But I hope and pray that by my speaking this language, that it's something that soaks into the Catholic consciousness, the Catholic mindset um, of you folks who are listening so that you can not only like live it, but that you can hand it on to the next generation. And it is something that sounds so simple, but boy, I wish it was told to me in such a simple form 27 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, and, and that was that as a husband and a father, I am called to lead, provide, and protect my family. That sounds so easy. <laughs> so almost when you hear it, I hope there's a sense of saying, oh, wow, there's a kind of an obviousness to it. I'm called to lead, provide, and protect my family. And, you know, you're saying, well, Tom, that, that's not that big a deal. It's not that profound. But I got to tell you, it, when you have a chance to ponder, what does it mean to lead? What does it mean to provide? What does it mean to protect? And you start unfolding the dimensions of it. As a, as a husband, what does it mean for me to lead, provide, and protect? As a father, together with my wife, what does it mean to lead and provide and protect? As a man of God called to live in this world, what does it mean to lead, provide, and protect? And I, I say this to you because it was never spelled out so simply and clearly to me when I was preparing to be married, when it was like, well, what's your call? What's your call as a, as, as a married man vis-a-vis -vis your wife? What is, it, what is your call if the Lord blesses you with children vis-a-vis -vis your children? And it has been so helpful to me to, to break open and expand the meaning of all of this. Uh, in terms of things like, as a leader, I go before. And when going before, I'm called upon to uphold a standard and show the way by how I live that standard. And I'm calling for accountability to live out that standard. And when I am with you, I am a provider. And so walking with you, I'm there to encourage you, to cheer you on, to put courage into you as I walk alongside you. I am with you. And being with you, I can stand before God on your behalf, and I can stand before you on God's behalf and be that mediator of good things. And then that, that's the provider. And then going behind you to say, I've got your back. I've got you covered. I'm going to support you where you're too weak, where you're struggling, where you don't understand or you don't get it or you don't realize what's happening or you're just uh, overwhelmed, I've got you covered. And so uh, uh, I, I, I've got your back. And so just that, that way of understanding the concept of you're on a journey and you have someone in front of you, someone with you, and someone behind you is, is a beautiful sense of lead, provide, and protect. Um, but it also maps out against this reality that leading and providing and protecting are connected to Jesus Christ. And they're connected to, listen now, they're connected to my connection to Jesus Christ. All right, what are you saying, Tom? Well, when we're baptized, we are, baptism means to plunge or immerse. We are plunged, we are immersed into the very life of God. So that the waters of baptism symbolize not only this concept of being washed clean from original sin and any personal sin. It does mean that. But it also refers to water as a place of death, as a place of chaos. And as I get plunged into 
that place of death and chaos. I come forth out of it. So not only do I get washed clean, but I, I go down into death and I come up with a new life. So baptism is also about coming to a new life, a, a new creation is, is the teaching of the church, the teaching of the scriptures in our tradition, that baptism is all about a new creation, not only the washing away of sins, not only becoming a member of the church, but becoming a child of God, from creature of God to child of God. Creature of God enters the pool of baptism, a child of God comes out. There's an elevation to a new status, a new state of being, a recreated state where we now share in God's own divine life. We are children of God because of Christ, through him, with him, and in him through, with, and in Jesus, as we are transformed by, transfigured into Jesus Christ, we become members of the body. He is the head. And so Christ and his life surges through us. The gift of his spirit, his Holy Spirit, now lives in us. Okay, you've heard all that theology before. Not new, not shocking, but when we talk about the conforming of our lives to Christ, this coming into intimate, profound, transformative, life-giving union with Jesus Christ, there is a particular way that the church expresses these points of manifestation, these points of connection, communion, that manifest themselves. And they are connected in baptism to what is called the anointing. So you know that there are anointings in baptism, you're anointed with the sacred chrism. So you are chris, you are uh, uh, anointed, you are sealed, you're consecrated, you're made holy. And so there's a way in which this anointing is um, the anointing with God's Holy Spirit that, that connects us, intimately conforms us to Jesus Christ. But there's this threefold manifestation of this anointing that we're connected with Christ through this anointing as priests, prophets, and kings. Priests, prophets, and kings. So you've heard this before. Now, why priest, prophet, and king? Well, because in the Old Testament, there were three classes or categories of people that were anointed. Oh, guess who? Kings. Kings were anointed. Right, uh, anointed by the prophets. Uh, kings, priests were anointed to fulfill their priestly duties. And then occasionally you find instances of prophets also being anointed. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the new covenant. We have a fulfillment of what we find as types, images, as, as uh, precursors to the fullness, to the perfection of what you see in the Old Testament. So if you have priests, prophets, and kings anointed in the Old Testament, those are leading up to, they are prefiguring the anointed one, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one, who in fact allows us to share in that anointing. So as Christians, we are anointed. Christian means anointed. <laughs> we are anointed. Um, and so we're anointed to manifest in our lives a ministry that is kingly, priestly, and prophetic. So what you should expect, what you should expect for your life of faith is this urging, this prompting, this nudge into a way of living, a way of, a way of living your life of faith that will involve a manifestation of the fact that you too share in this anointing as a Christian that will be kingly in its expression, that will be priestly in its expression, and will be prophetic in its expression. So now we can take those words that I've used previously, that as husbands and fathers, as wives and mothers, we're called to lead, provide, and protect— as disciples living in this world, lead, provide, and protect. Well, we do that because we're called, and we're called to manifest through our identification with Christ in baptism, to manifest his kingly, priestly, and prophetic ministry. So these are ways that we show Christ to the world. 
and show Christ in our world. You show Christ in your world, in your fundamental relationships, by living as priest, prophet, and king. Okay, so what does that actually look like? I'm going to mention two of them very briefly so I can focus on the third. The two I'm going to mention briefly are the kingly ministry and the priestly ministry. I want to focus today on the prophetic ministry. And guess what? This is all about Easter. This is all about Easter because this is the way in which we live out our lives as people of faith, as people who say, yes, I am manifesting the reality that Christ is risen from the dead. I, if you want to know that Christ is risen from the dead, hang around with me, and you will see this sense of, um, this sense of uh, hope, this sense of light, this sense of meaning, this sense of freedom, this sense of joy that are all connected to things that this world can't give and this world can't take away. And wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? That that's what we want to show to the world. That's the spirit of the of the resurrection alive in us. Well, it's also going to manifest itself in living out this kingly, priestly, and prophetic ministry. Okay, so with that said, let's take a look at kingly ministry. Well, kingly ministry is sometimes referred to as kingly service. Sometimes you hear the concept of a servant leader, and we could go in a lot of detail into the reality that we're called to express kingly service. That's the service of Christ washing the feet of the disciples at the Last Supper. He who was Lord of all took the the place of the lowest servant in the household to wash the feet of those whom he was, who, who had been welcomed into the home. And so he takes the position of the slave, takes the position of the lowest one to basically say, I'm going to give of my life. I'm going to pour my life out so that you can be washed clean. I'm going to take the humblest place, I who am the Lord over all. And that's something that you are called to manifest in your life. So the idea of going before and being the leader, well, we're supposed to be the leader in how we offer kingly service in our families. So even the act of leading, the act of going out in front and saying, I've been given authority to direct and to require your uh, obedience to uphold a standard that I ask you to, uh, to conform your life to, doing that as a, as, a, as a father. Well, even that is an act of service. It's an act of humble service to say, I love you enough to serve you by saying, I'm not going to let you get away with this. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not life-giving for you. You must be accountable for this. That's not always easy. That's not always easy to do. We're not always that comfortable with offering that kind of kingly service. I know there are a lot of folks out there who are like, yeah, you know what? I love to serve. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to serve and, and to, to do the humble task and so that other people can have a good time and like serving at a party or serve. But to serve in a way that says, you know what? There's a standard here and you did not uphold the standard. I'm going to... In, in my kingly service to you, require you to be accountable to this. And this just happened recently, without getting into the details. Um, uh, a couple of, uh, well, there were actually three uh, friends of my boys um, who contacted me because they did something stupid. They took a stupid picture and it made it onto uh, a very limited set of social media. And a few other kids that are part of the same school saw it. And all of a sudden, I got three text messages and phone calls and one personal visit and a request for two other visits to, to look me in the eyes and to say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? I did not uphold a godly standard in my life, and it impacted, um, it, it, it impacted um, others because it became public. I didn't intend it to, and it was a stupid thing to do, and I'm sorry I did that, and that I'm, I'm a friend of your son's, and they um, had to see that. I'm like, who are these young men? Who who are they? And it was it was very touching. It was very powerful. But they did it because their fathers said, this is not acceptable. And you need to be held account, uh, held accountable for this. And and to be honest with you, what what they had done was literally almost nothing compared to what was typical, promoted, applauded, and supported on the West Side, living there and seeing it 
uh, and way, 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 way worse on Instagram as a typical thing. And to see these kids take ownership of it and want to say, I want to drive to your house and look you in the eyes and ask your forgiveness was so powerful. Kingly service. All right, when we come back, I'm going to quickly talk about priestly service and then focus today on the call to be a prophet through our anointing and baptism. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So today on the program, I'm reflecting on, well, the Easter reality that we as children of God who share in the risen life of Jesus, yes, we do. Did you hear that? We share in the risen life of Jesus right here, right now, that when we do this, we are um, going to manifest something of Christ's own life in how we live. And we do that through what's called sharing in this anointing through baptism, this conformation, this configuration of our lives with the life of Christ, who is priest, prophet, and king. And so these are not just these are not just theological realities. When I say just theological realities, I mean they're not only realities that are intellectual, not just something that we say we believe with our minds, but doesn't have any concrete practical application for our lives. No, we are called upon to to be living a life in a way that is connected to and, and manifests this reality that we share in the life of Jesus, who is priest, prophet, and king. And so I've been, I started with the idea that we are called to share in Christ's kingly life, the, the kingly anointing that comes to ours, and, and, and have put the focus on being a servant leader, a servant leader. Um, I, I wanted to say one last thing about that, and that is this, is that when we think about the concept of a leader, most people are not leaders. You know, they, you, you've probably heard the phrase, like, most people are sheep. Most people are looking for someone to lead them. And, and you know what, in my experience, having worked in church leadership and corporate leadership for over 30 years and over 25 years, serving corporate leaders at a very high level, most people, in fact, are looking for someone to provide a sense of confident direction that says, this is where we're going. I know how to get there. Follow me. And they head out first. And then people feel like, okay, ah, I can now go too. Uh, people are looking for someone to say, let me provide the example and the model for how to live. And then look at the look at the generosity of how they are living. Look at the extraordinary way that they are stepping up. I can step up too. So here's the thing. As Christians, we're all called to lead. We're not in the same way. It doesn't mean we're all called to have positions of leadership, visible institutional roles of leadership. But it does mean that we are called, by the way we live our lives, to influence others to move in a certain direction. Because ultimately, that's what a leader's doing, isn't it? A leader is someone who's influencing others. See, you, you, if you don't have nobody following you, you're not leading. But you can influence others to move in a direction. right? So if you're influencing others to move in a direction, you're leading them. You're leading them. Now, our hope is that what? <laughs> People aren't moving in the other direction than you're in, and moving in, in so they're moving away from you, then you're not leading them at all. <laughs> I don't know how funny that is, but um, uh, we are called upon to influence others to move in a direction. And the other definition I like for a leader is the leader is someone who's willing to go first. A leader is someone who's willing to go first. And that takes a bit of courage, doesn't it? To be willing to go first. And then others, having seen what the leader has done, will say, oh, I can do that too. So I want you to think about that. Maybe pray about that in this Easter season. That 
as someone anointed after the manner of Jesus Christ, priest, prophet, and king, as someone who is anointed after the manner of Jesus Christ, the king, you are called upon to influence others to move in a direction. And part of how you do that is by being willing to go first. And maybe think about it and say, how am I influencing others? What am I influencing them to do? Am I influencing them to pray? Am I willing to go first in praying? Uh, maybe praying and, and again, setting that example. And maybe if I pray uh, this much amount of time, then maybe these folks that I'm influencing will be able to pray just a little bit of time. Uh, boy, we certainly see that regarding the concept of standing up in our society. But now I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'm getting ahead to the reality of the call to be a prophet. So these will all come together. So let me let me stop right there and just say, stop and reflect, maybe, maybe as part of your examination of conscience today, as part of something you do when you take some quiet time, is to reflect on and say, where am I leading? Who am I leading? How am I influencing them? How could I, how could I do that even more effectively? How could I bear even more fruit in how I lead? Uh, and, and see what happens. See what shows up. Uh, it, it could be a great exercise because this, this gets to the heart of the matter. This gets to things that really matter. What, what matters in our lives is not how much money we make. What matters in our lives is not the stuff that we have. What matters in our lives is not uh, being able to, um, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say the word brag, but be able to say, oh, look at all the cool things that I've done or the places I've been or the stuff that I have. It's, no, being able to help foster a sense of holiness, a sense of closeness to God, being able to help clear away the obstacles so that others can come close to the Lord, being able to uh, inspire and, and encourage others to to say yes to Jesus or to open to the Lord or to be available to him. These are things that really matter. These are things that endure. This is that treasure in heaven that is everlasting. Okay, so today in Sound Insight, this is Tom Kern. I'm, I'm reflecting on the call to be priest, prophet, and king in accord with the Easter call. Now that Easter is here, we have entered into the promised land of good things. We are entered into the time of ministry and mission. Jesus, after the desert, enters into public ministry. The Israelites, after coming out of Egypt and through the desert, enter into the promised land. And there in the promised land, they don't just enjoy the good things, the milk and honey of being in the promised land. No, they have to aid, uh, they have to wage war. They have to wage a battle to live out their identity as God's children, even though they're in the inherited promised land that God has set aside for them. Okay, so priest, I'm sorry, priest, prophet, and king. We talked about king. Let's talk about priest briefly. And just, again, just be clear, this is because when, whenever we at Catholics think priest, we think ordained priest. And that's very fitting. It's a sacrament, the sacrament of holy orders, sharing in the institutional priesthood, the priesthood that is essential as, uh, as uh, exercising leadership in the community of faith. But there, that's, that's the, the priesthood of the ordained. There's also the priesthood of the faithful. So that all of us, yes, you and I, we, lay people, also share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And if you remember, just like I talked about king, in the kingly role we lead, in the priestly role we provide. Why is that? Well, if you said, what's at the essence of the priesthood? What is at the essence, like if you get right down to the core, the, the essential center of the priesthood, where does the priest manifest his priestly ministry in the most essential way. It's at the altar. It is at the altar, at the Eucharist, the source and summit of our life of faith. The priest is most fully priest at the altar. And when you uh, celebrating, presiding at the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, that's sacred liturgy. And you say, what's happening there? What is the priest doing in the sacred liturgy that is 
the most priestly of the priestly activities. Well, he's most fully priest in the midst of his most fully priestly activity in that moment of the uh, of the recounting, the reenacting, the uh, making present of Christ's saving redemption, his sacred act of giving of himself on the cross. And so um, it's when he is doing the canon of the Mass, right, that, that standard right there, the, the Eucharistic prayer, and doing the institutional narrative, he calls, calling down the Holy Spirit and then uh, speaking the words of Christ at the Last Supper. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Okay, now, let's take a look at that moment. In that essential center of the liturgy is the priest mediating the people's relationship to God, bringing people to God, offering the people to God, opening a way for the people to come to uh, authentic communion with God? Or is the priest enacting the role of mediator, mediating the contact of God the Father to bring his saving, redemptive love to his people on earth? And you know the answer, right? It's yes. It's yes, simultaneously, uh, in the mystery of it all, the priest is someone who is mediating uh, by bringing the people to God and bringing God to the people. And so that is important for us to stop and think about why. Well, if we are if we are someone who is, through baptism, anointed, not only priest, but not only king, but also priest, then there's a way in which you're going to live a priestly life. There's going to be a, a priestly quality to your life. And, and when I talked about that in the kingly way, we go before. We go before the people to clear the way, set the way, influence people along the way, create the standard. The priest is one who says, I'm with you. I am with you in the right here and now of your life, in the right here and now moment of your own existence. And so... In, in understanding the, the priestly call, the priest is the one who says, I'm with you. Bring all that you are, all that you have into the right now moment, and I'm going to help you shape it into a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. Help you come and entrust yourself into the hands of God, even as I bring God himself into your hands. I bring Christ to you in a transforming way. What, how do we do that? How do you and I do that, exercising our priestly ministry? Well, what is the role in the scriptures that is connected to that priestly call? Well, it's the intercessor. It's the one who uh, is willing to come before God on behalf of the people and say, Lord, please help us. Not please help them. You know, the intercessor isn't one who says, man, these people are in a hard position. Let me go run over here and come and stand next to God and say, wow, Lord, hey, check out those people down over there. Man, they are in a bad way. I'm over here with you. But those people over there, they are in a difficult spot. You, you, could you help them out? That's not an intercessor. An intercessor is not someone who experiences a sense of uh, distance a sense of indifference, a sense of disconnectedness with the people for whom he or she is interceding, but feels a deep, profound sense of solidarity or communing with, a sense of compassion, suffering with the, the very reality, the very reality of the people whom he or she is bringing before the Lord. Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you. Please help us, O Lord, even when that one isn't in that exact circumstance. So, I know this is something that you can do. This is something that you can experience. You can, without question, look around your life and identify people that you care about, that you love, or that you just come into the mystery of contact the way that God connects you to say, I'm bringing this person, these people, to your attention because I have a blessing that I want to give to them. 
but I've intended to bring it to them through you, through your intercession for them. Isn't that a mystery? It's a really striking thing to think about that, that in fact, the Lord is intending to bless people. Some of these people are going to be blessed because you have prayed for them. You have prayed for them. And so look around your life. Who can you start praying for? This will be a a wonderful chance for you to be able to say, if I'm going to live my Easter call as priest, prophet, and king in my priestly role, who can I pray for today? Who is it that the Lord is bringing to my mind, putting on my heart to say, I'm going to begin to pray for them? Now, this is going to sound kind of odd, but... um, there's also a way in which the Lord will use the condition you're in to draw you into that sense of solidarity or that sense of connection with the ones you're praying for. So two people that I've been praying for for months have serious head injuries. <laughs> and the mystery of God is that I, like a knucklehead a few weeks ago, hurt my head through a concussion, and I'm still feeling the effects of it. And it dawned on me yesterday. It's like, wow, I have gotten, I don't know if I've ever gotten a concussion in my life, but I started praying for these two men who have one, a very severe concussion, and the other one, a severe brain injury. And I've been praying for them. And all of a sudden, I'm sharing in a very sympathetic way, compassionate way, in their condition. Not nearly to their extent, but yeah, that too. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. Okay, it's the Easter season. We're called to live in accord with the Easter season. We know what it's like as Catholics to live out uh, the life of Lent, right? Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, these three uh, fundamental disciplines. And, um, and we do that in order to become purified from our attachments to the sinful places of slavery like Egypt. We're called to be uh, formed and prepared to exercise ourselves spiritually, to be ready to go, to, uh, to be ready and formed, to enter into that promised land, to enter that time of proclamation. Well, now here we are. Well, we're here. Easter is not just a time to go back to old practices, that old ways of living and old things that we were trying to shed. Right, uh, Easter is not just returning to pre-Lent realities. Easter is meant to be a way that we come to live in, in a new way, the, the new life that we've been freed from and been prepared for. Well, how do we do that? Well, I've been focusing on that in these last few days, and uh, I'm focusing in on it today by, by taking up uh, a reflection on the concept that we are called to share in the ministry of Christ through the anointing that is ours in our baptism, through which we become these children of God sharing in the risen life of Jesus as priest, prophet, and king. So I've talked about the kingly ministry. I'm focusing on this priestly ministry. Now, the priestly ministry, on the one hand, is when we intercede for others. So you can do that. How about this? How about you consider taking some time each day to pray for one or two or three people. One or two or three people or situations that are particularly pressing, near and dear to you, um, that maybe cause a, a pain in your heart. And that you, you take those as signals from the Lord to say, I'm inviting you to be an intercessor. I'm inviting you to be part of what I'm doing to minister to them. Do you hear what I just said? You see, intercession, remember now, this priestly ministry isn't only about you bringing people to God. It's also bringing God to people. It's being that funnel, that two-way channel where you're going to bring the, the, the burning concerns, the, the heart full of, of fear, pain, doubt. You're bringing that to the Lord, but then you're also bringing the, the Lord's heart full of love and his desire to bless into people's lives. And so intercessory prayer is a very powerful and important way of doing that. Do not doubt that. And so I think this one is really important that you probably never thought of that ministry as a priestly ministry that is yours as a lay person, but it is. I'm not making this up. Right? This is part of the lay faithful, the lay faithful share in the priesthood of Christ. It's different than the ordained minister's share in the priesthood of Christ. And so the first is to intercede. And intercede every day. 
Watch what will happen. I'm telling you, something will happen to you as you begin to pray for people each day. It will begin to shape and mold your heart. You'll begin to live outside of yourself in a whole new way. You'll begin to see even the things that happen to you connected to that mission and ministry of intercession. I just mentioned this concussion that I had, which I had as a result of my own lack of prudence. Really not, really dumb. Just unintelligent. I'm just really bugged by it. But the Lord, even though the Lord in his perfect will didn't want that to happen, in his redemptive, in his permissive will, has the capacity to redeem my own lack of intelligence to say, watch what I can do. Watch what I can do to use this suffering that you're undergoing, Tom, on behalf of others to bear fruit in their lives. I like that. I think that's beautiful. And I say, please, Lord, do something good with this because I really, I did something dumb. Please redeem it. Do something good with it. And so let your life be in the hands of the Lord in a priestly way as an intercessor, bringing people to the Lord. The second thing that you can do, this one's a little bit more of a stretch. This maybe isn't for everyone, but in insofar as those who can hear are willing to embrace it, you might find it to be very powerful, is that you can also be useful to the Lord in terms of how the Lord ministers to others here on earth. Let me say that again. How the Lord Jesus Christ is ministering in personal ways to others here on earth. There are ways that you're probably already doing it. You, you've heard that um, famous prayer um, from St. Teresa of Avila about you're the hands and feet of Christ. And, and so think about the ways that you're serving in the world. You're reaching out and, and uh, performing acts of, of generous service to help others who are lacking the basic needs in life, helping them uh, to gain certain rights or to be able to help them in, in broken conditions. Um, in, in a variety of ways, as you serve, you, you are ministering with the very love of Christ. Uh, the, another way that you're doing it, I mentioned it last week, or maybe two weeks ago, was through affirmation. Speaking words that build up. It's a very powerful way that you're ministering to others, that, that Christ is at work, ministering through your speech. So through your speech, you're ministering. Through your deeds, you're ministering. What about through your ministering? Can you minister? What does that look like? Well, I said intercession is praying for. Have you ever considered praying with? Have you ever considered praying with others? One of the more exciting movements if not the most exciting movement that I'm aware of in the Catholic Church these days, in the United States anyways, is this encounter movement. And it is traced back to, uh, uh, traced back to a Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, um, where a professor there, Dr. Mary Healy, uh, had gone to South America to participate in um, a mission trip um, sponsored by Renewal Ministries. That's uh, Ralph Martin's uh, ministry, apostolate. And um, he um, uh, and she went there, and, and there was this, uh, this prayer service where the person up front um, led others in a time of prayer and had this sense of expectant faith where there was this sense of anointing and participation in the reality that Christ continues to move today in signs and wonders and deeds of power. Christ continues to move today, the same living Lord who in the Gospels is performing signs and wonders and deeds of power, that he, in fact, continues to operate that way today. If we are open and available to be useful to him as vessels that are available to have him minister in healing ways, in purposes that unbind and set free. And I'm not talking through the sacraments. I'm talking through the ministry of prayer, praying with someone, 
and then having someone be healed. That is also a manifestation of a priestly ministry, a ministering of Christ through his body, the church, through the faithful who are saying, Lord, I'm available. Lord, if you want to use me in prayer where I would pray with somebody else or I'd be part of a team that prays with other people with expected faith and with an anointing, with, with a, a spirit gift, as gifting of the Holy Spirit that has someone experience a sign, a wonder, a miracle, a healing, healing of memories, healing the healings that are physical, healings that even that are spiritual. This is real. Now again, I mentioned that this isn't for everyone, but this is for more, I humbly believe, God intends this for more people than are actually doing it. God has more healing available than those who are actually engaged in the work of praying with others. And so that's something that I know Carrie and I are very interested in. We're very excited when we found out that Father Ed White was um, taking on this uh, task of helping to bring about the encounter ministry um, on the west side in the Archdiocese of Seattle. And Father Cal Christensen, um, also very involved. In fact, he was, I believe, the, one of the first... Um, priests to, to be able to bring in encounter ministries and, and help establish a school um, around the country. I think it was the first one. I could be wrong. And so there are some priests uh, in the Archdiocese of Seattle who have gotten quite involved in uh, forming laity to have that sense of participation in this anointing to pray with others with expectant faith for healing. And I've seen miracles I've seen healings. I've been so blessed through the mercy of God to be part of situations of prayer for others and seen healing miracles happen. And I know that that happens. And so I'm excited to see if there's a way in which the Lord wants to continue to do that kind of work today. So that's something to pray about. Say, Lord, please, would you want to use me, Lord, to pray with others? Lord, I'm open. Cleanse me as a vessel. Equip me with your gifting. I'd love to be used, Lord, as a conduit of signs and wonders for your glory and your kingdom to be made known on earth and for the unbinding and setting people free through an encounter with you. Oh, isn't that awesome? Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. Talking today about priest, prophet, and king and the call that we have to be priest, prophet, and king. And how do we do that? How do we live out our call in the Easter season, in the right now moment of this world. How can all of us do that? How can we function as kings? I've already talked about that. How do we function as priests? I've already talked about that. How do we function as prophets? I've saved this one for last. Unfortunately, it's not the best for last. It's the hardest for last. It's the one that maybe we're least attracted to. And maybe I'm just speaking too much for myself. Maybe it's a temperamental thing. I think maybe there are some folks who really enjoy speaking prophetically. (laughs) Changing, being like Jesus in the temple and tipping over the the money changers uh, tables. Um, And maybe like that idea of of being a prophet. But I want to focus in on this prophetic ministry that is also our call. You have been anointed not only as a king, to lead the way, influence others to go first. Not only as a priest, you've been you've shared that anointing as priest, where you're called to, um, where you're called to um, uh, intercede for others and be open to be ministering on behalf of Christ. Christ is ministering through you to the world in your deeds and your words, and yes, even in ministry situations. But what about prophet? Okay, remember the king goes before the priest is with the priest. The prophet says, "I've got your back." The prophet says, "I've got your back." And uh, the one, the prophet is the one who's going to say, "I'm going to support you when you're when you're really struggling, when you're really when you don't have the strength. I'm going to speak in. I'm going to speak in." Here's the thing: we think of prophets, we think of someone who tells the future. Oh, what a prophet! This person foretold, foretold the future. That is not the first call of a prophet to prophesy to tell about a future state. 
Okay, listen, listen to this. Um, I'll say it carefully. The prophet's task is to speak the word that the people most need to hear. The prophet's job is to speak the truth that comes from God that the people most need to hear. They may have the most difficult time hearing it. They, they may not want to hear it. It may rub them the wrong way when it's said. But it's the truth that they most need to hear. And here's the thing. In hearing it, they're called upon to respond to it in the present. And if they don't respond in the present, then there will be future ramifications. So the future dimension of a prophet is stating there is a future state that looks like devastation, that looks like judgment, that looks like horrors and darkness and destruction. But those are only going to be there if you don't receive the word that's being spoken to in the present and take action on it. So think of Jonah, right? Jonah in the Old Testament is what? He arrives at Nineveh and he speaks the word that the people most need to hear. 40 days more and, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, what happens? The king and, and the, it proclaims a fast and repents in sackcloth and ashes and has all the people repent in sackcloth and ashes, has the animals fast. <laughs> he gets everybody involved in this act of repentance. And as a result of that, what ends up happening? Well, the destruction doesn't come. Well, was the prophet wrong? Was, was Jonah incorrect? No, 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 he wasn't. He spoke the word that people needed to hear. They responded, and as a result of that, they were preserved from experiencing the destruction that was prophesied. And so that has something to say to us. That, that's a call that is ours as well. You see, if, if we are going to live this prophetic word, we have to realize something, that the truth provides protection. Remember, lead, provide, protect. The prophet who speaks the truth of God is providing protection for those to whom the prophet speaks. The prophet speaks a truth that's not easy to hear, is often not wanted to be heard, but provides protection for the people. Think of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah came before the king of, of Judah and, and said, okay, here you have the Babylonians coming, and here's what I'm going to say to you. Surrender. Give over to them. Don't battle against them because you'll be destroyed and be taken into captivity, and all Jerusalem will be destroyed. Well, the other prophets did not like that. They didn't want to hear that. The king didn't want to hear that. And what ended up happening? <laughs> they throw Jeremiah in prison, and the Babylonians... Uh, overrun and end up destroying Jerusalem and take off, take the leaders off into captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah had a truth that he was speaking that the king heard but didn't want to hear. It was hard to hear. It was humbling to hear. He refused to hear, and as a result, he experienced the devastating effects. A prophet's call is not easy. You see, a prophet is someone who is called upon to speak the word that God has for the prophet to speak. And, and so Micaiah is a good example. So you have all the prophets coming to speak to the kings of Israel and Judah about what they should do. And uh, the king of Israel said, look, um, all the prophets are unanimously saying we should go forward and attack. And Micaiah um, came uh, and the king said, well, we should go forward and attack. King of Judah said, no, 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 no. I want to hear what Micaiah has to say. And he said, really? Do you have to hear him? And so all the prophets got to Micaiah and said, look, just agree with us. Say what we're saying. Agree that they should go and win and bat and fight the enemy because they'll win in battle. And Micaiah said, I will, 
I, I say before the Lord, I will say whatever the Lord tells me. I will say whatever the Lord tells me. That's what the prophet has got to say. Not, I will say whatever the people I'm speaking to want to hear. I'm not going to say whatever the people enjoy hearing. I will say whatever the Lord intends for me to say. And that prophetic call is hard. It's difficult because the call of a prophet is also to speak in a way that the people can hear. You can, you can speak a truth in, in, a, in a manner that is so harsh and difficult that it's unable to be heard. So the call is to speak the truth in love. It's the, it's the truth, but the truth in love, so that the people who are intending to hear it ought to be able to hear it. And so that prophetic call that is ours also has a part to play in this right now moment in the life of the church. I've waited for this one to last because this is one that I have felt a call to do and have tried to live out in the last few years. It's not my natural temperament to um, say, oh, I've got to speak a truth that's prophetic, meaning it's a truth that I really believe God intends me to speak that needs to be heard. And if it's not heard, it's going to be destructive. And so speak the truth, whether or not it's uh, popular, whether it's easily received, but it's the truth that needs to be heard. And so when I think about my own life and ministry and the prophetic word that I've felt called to share, well, it would probably be three things. The first was that um, we are living in a toxic moment that is so bad that you have to flee to Egypt, and everyone has to find an Egypt to flee to, that that's the biggest thing that's at stake, especially if you have teenagers. You have to find an Egypt for you. And when I've encouraged people to move to Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, and that whole area, it was really speaking to those that have kids that are in uh, the tween years or in the, um, in the um, tween years or teen years because they have the most at stake to lose right now. And I know that hasn't always been popular, but it's a truth that I know is saving lives and saving families. The second is um, regarding the liturgy and how we should not expect that the liturgy that um, our families are attending are going to naturally lead to our kids living their Catholic faith. In fact, the expectation is that the kids are going to leave the faith by an incredibly huge margin. And so I've been promoting find and attend a reverent liturgy. And oftentimes that will show up as come to the Latin Mass. And there's not a guarantee that the traditional Latin Mass is going to be uh, particularly reverent and have every dimension. But I've spoken it for that reason, because of that sense of having a prophetic call to raise up before Catholics the reality that unless you take serious action and find a reverent liturgy for your family, your kid's faith will be drained. And then the third one that I feel a, a sense of prophetic call to address is this transgender ideology that we're called to protect our kids. We're called to protect children. And we're called to speak the truth that God made us male and female. And you know what? It's not popular. It's not welcome. It, it will be uh, attacked as being bigoted and hated, hatred. But not to speak that truth is to face the judgment that a prophet faces which is, if you don't speak the truth uh, to warn off and protect those that you were called to protect, then you'll face the consequences. You'll be responsible for the damage that happens to them. And that is not something that I want to face. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. We are called to be prophets, each of us in our own way. Where are you called to be a prophet?